Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Hello, welcome everyone to Star Trek from the Holodeck, the Lower Decks edition. I am Michael Flores, your host and captain of this little shit show. <laughs> and my ensign, Ensign Shimpo. Hello, my ensign Shimpo. How's it going, everybody? Am I going to uh, disintegrate you <laughs> with phasers? <laughs> am I going to be like, uh, you know, replaced with a... Uh, very familiar looking actor or something. A cliche, a cliche. Filipino shampoo version. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Let's find out. Yeah, let's find out. <laughs> All right. So today you and I are going to be talking about Lower Decks, season one, episode nine, titled Crisis Point, directed by Bob Suarez and written by Ben Rogers. The synopsis, Mariner repurposes Boimler's holodeck program to cast herself as the villain in a Lower Deck style movie. Okay, Dave. So, how do I say this without sounding hyperbolic? This episode is probably, are you ready? Okay. My favorite piece of Trek since Kurtzman took the reins of the Trek universe. (laughs) And you know what? I'm trying to think right now. Of everything that Kurtzman has done. I'm talking Picard. I'm talking Discovery Season 1 and Season 2. You cannot compare Picard Uh, to this. There's a few short treks that may rival this. But if I had to make a decision right now, I'd say, yes, this is the best bit of trek we had not not lower decks as a whole, but this specific episode. This specific episode. I honestly believe that it's the best. Kurtzman era Trek episode we have been given to date. It was flawless Star Trek in just about every way. Just think about this, Dave. To parody the very elements of Trek that would actually assist with the story being told in this episode is an example of a firm understanding of Star Trek. Okay, you're using interpersonal relationships as the platform, right? Bringing that mother and daughter element to the forefront and dissecting Mariner's problems in such a concise way. It makes you wonder what they're going to be doing moving forward. Number one, almost feels like she has come face to face with her issues and her problems. Where do you go from there? And I like that. We needed that. We are just one episode away from the finale, and this is where we should be when it comes to character development. They needed to essentially book in the series with this type of closure, right? Yeah. This is a very intelligent episode because it uses key tropes of Trek 
things that define Trek, but then they flip it on his head to make it fresh and feel unique while still having fun. Absolutely. Not, not forgetting that this is essentially still a comedy. And making it feel for this particular crew of Star Trek. Like this episode absolutely fits for the crew of the Cerritos. This, out of all the episodes up to this point, this is probably the one that I'm going to point at where we get a full gauge of the full crew, not just of the lower decks, yeah. but the full crew of the Cerritos. And it's taking a it's it's taken us to this point to really get a gauge of the captain of the Cerritos now, which is Mariner's mom. Yeah, the whole time we've only known her to be kind of very, kind of like a hyper, like a hyper rendition of what a Federation officer should be. Right, but here. We actually get a gauge of like what type of person she is. And that helps us actually connect the dots in actually saying, okay, when we think of the great ships of Star Trek, Enterprise, Voyager, Defiant, all of them are, are helmed by a certain captain. I can look at this and basically say, okay, when I think of Cerritos, I think of, I think of that captain. Well, that's what this entire episode did. So they they take the things that we expect, right? Yeah. And now that we have nine episodes to gauge this thought or base this thought on, we can go back and and see this is kind of what they've been working towards since the beginning. But they have taken everything that we come to expect, right? Let's call them cliches. And that's an ugly word for a lot of reasons. No one likes clichés. We have demonized that word to the point that no one wants their work to ever be described as being filled with clichés. But when you're dealing with the world of Star Trek, when you're dealing with uh, franchises that are set in stone that have been carved out uh, to resemble a certain thing, right? You have to always gauge every subsequent franchise, whether it be a spin-off or movie, has to be governed by these clichés. But you have to also add more to it. It can't just be a carbon copy. You have to take those elements, those Star Trek tropes, and make them work. Make them unique. Make them unique. And just like you mentioned with Captain Freeman, yeah, for for the most part, we see this version of a captain that we expect to be a captain of a Federation ship, right? Of a Starfleet ship. But as we truck along, specifically in this episode, we finally start to see these aspects that make them unique characters. That make them stand on their own. Yes, they are tropes that we've possibly seen before. You know, the Spocks, uh, the Tapals, the the Odos, the Datas, the people that need to under that want to learn and understand humanity. Right? Look at all those characters. They're all pretty much the same in terms of what they're trying to figure out. Seven of Nine, Spock, Brent, Spiner's character, Data, Tapal, Odo. These are characters that, on paper, look similar yeah but it isn't until the director and the writer gets in there and says okay this is the trope this is the archetype but let me rework it and now make it unique and work for this specific setting yes and that's what they're doing with this show now moving forward and there's always going to be those comedic elements there's always going to be those moments of parody uh, that may be a little over the top but at the end of the day if you can also 
give a true defining moment for our heroes, for our protagonists, our characters, then that's a win. And that's, you remember, Dave, that's all I ever wanted with this show. Give me what we expect from a comedy, right? There's going to be some parodies, obviously, but also outside of just having fun, let's be able to view this as a legitimate Star Trek series. And I feel like this episode here, even though you see bits of it throughout, this episode here is the accumulation of them working towards that. Oh, yeah. And it's something that basically I am so happy to see this particular series actually go this route because I, w- I went into the series, if you guys remember, with very low expectations because I wasn't expecting, you know, something like that was going to be have a quote unquote human, uh, human story element that is very reminiscent to all of Star Trek. And yet we have it yet. We have it. I did not expect that. And you know, I hate harping about this. I really do. I really do. But this is, this is the only time in my notes that I've actually put this. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead and mention the card. I know you're going to do it. Yes. (laughs) Like it amazes me that a series like this can get the human human element type of storytelling done properly star trek wise than a big hyped up project like picard david you know why because mike mcmahon probably actually watched star trek for real (laughs) and understands the aspect of humanity that that's a major part people working through trials and tribulations and then coming out on top Maintaining that optimism. All you can have all the doom and gloom you want, but at the top of all of that is a sunset of optimism. A sunset of optimism, yeah. And Picard, I do I feel like and I don't want to go there either. I don't want to go but, there anymore. That's the last time but I mentioned it. You in my are notes. right though. Like it makes you wonder how can someone nail it so so perfectly in twenty five minutes and yet in all of the 10 episodes of Picard, there's maybe a handful of moments if you take all the 10 episodes, 10 episodes combined <laughs> and you sort through all the, the muck, you can possibly find a human element. This is why Lower Decks and this specific episode is, in my opinion, some of the best Star Trek we have. Uh, maybe, maybe the best. He's a Star Trek we have been given within this Kurtzman era. Because I, I am trying to think of like the stuff that could possibly rival this. The closest ones that could possibly rival this that you mentioned were mm-hmm. short treks. Yeah, there's some, some short great treks, episodes of short treks. Yeah. Wow. We're yeah. really good. Yeah. Discovery season two. Even in Discovery season one, there were some great moments. I'm not going to bash Discovery. I I love Discovery. But and me saying this is the best version of Trek in all of Kurtzman's era is not me bashing Discovery season one and season two. I'm just saying this is the best. This is the best. This is the best. It, It doesn't mean I hate Discovery. It just means this, in my opinion, shows a it's a display. Yeah. Of a showrunner that completely gets it it's that simple this guy understands what makes star trek 
work. And the funny thing is, is that this is a fucking comedy. It's a comedy. And it wasn't all about fun and games in this episode. You have Mike McMahon and his team. They took some. They took some of the greatest dramatic moments in Trek films that were personal and character defining and recrafted them into a parody to do the same thing with Mariner. Yes. So they are taking leaps and bounds in order to build this character up, but also having fun. They're using parody and through parody things that we understand and get immediately. We understand the con references and what they mean. We understand the inclusion of Shakespeare. We get it. Yeah. And you re structure these aspects to fit into this show yes it was brilliant but the that word doesn't feel adequate enough to describe how exceptional this was dave yeah i'm gonna keep blowing it understanding that this is a comedy piece there are things we just can't take too seriously there always will be yeah but at its core There's a very real strong emotional statement about a relationship between a mother and her daughter and her daughter. And it was intelligently planned out too, because about five minutes into it, I'm always like going, it's a genius maneuver to make this whole scenario play out in the holodeck. Well, man, because it, it, it took the elements of Mariner that at the very beginning I'd never liked. Mm-hmm. But here it made it really understandable because they're explaining those because they're issues explaining the issue why she acts like that. Yeah, I. it's just really strong when you have these writers take. A personal, the most intimate and personal moments within Star Trek and repurpose them. To fit. A comedic tone and yet still come away with a vast amount of substance substance and, and very serious. I don't know. It's like character. It defining is, moments. It's, it's funny, but it's, it is a comedy, but there are some fucking deep moments in this episode. This faux movie that was created in the holodeck allowed them to break the fourth wall in a clever way that yeah. brought the audience into the mind of Mariner And then through the lens of therapy, we were given keen insight on Mariner that is truly character defining. Defining. And like one of the one of the elements that or one of the scenes that I really, really liked because I had this like weird split of serious tone and comedic element was the the whole thing, the whole scene with. Mariner and Tilly in as they were blasting away T- crew Tindy? or Tindy. I was like, Tilly was uh, Tilly. Uh, oh, Tindy. Give me them that red head, <laughs> but Tindy and like that whole scene where they're killing people and Tindy basically just stops says, I'm not sure about this. And it, it has that comedic <laughs> tone, but then it flips on it when Mariner flat out, you know, becomes racist towards Tindy and like Tindy just says, you know, I'm out. Peace out. And like it took that comedic scene and just threw it into a serious look at Mariner right now. Basically seeing like, 
she she's so hellbent on her quote unquote you know pent up baggage that she has with her mom she can turn racist towards her friends. It's a form of prejudice for it's sure. It's a form of prejudice. And that fits into the whole villain motif that they were trying to go exactly. with. Exactly. And yeah, then this when you person get, that she doesn't like, this person that she despises internally. It, eternally. And yeah. then you get to the very end, and I'm glad that they brought it up in the very end because it it gives that more defining moment that shows that Mariner is learning. She's progressing as a character. We're having character development. And what's that? When she when she apologizes to Tindy and says, you know, I was out of line and Michael Shaban's taking notes right now while he's watching Lower Decks. He's like, okay, character, oh yeah, character <laughs> development. I'm okay. like, you realize that we got this type of character development between two characters that you could have easily, easily have done to any of the uh, any characters in Picard. What's the did. name of uh, of the girl Data's daughter? Uh, Soji. Yeah, Soji. We know more about Mariner than we do of Soji. Than we know about Soji. Yeah. yeah. And we had this whole Shakespearean flair to it as well. And not just because of the obvious, you know, yes. the quoting of the Tempest and the the parody of Chang and Khan, but the fight between the two Mariners as well. Uh, that was made possible because, of course, the Holodeck movie. Yep. And the writers you know, turned Mariner's internal struggle tangible through, I want to say during the final act when she fought herself and was cast as both the antagonist and protagonist. protagonist. I mean, the use of literary devices was just so fucking good. We learned so much in a smart way. I mean, casting her as both antagonist and protagonist is the best way to show the internal struggle of this character. I mean, Mariner's attitude we find out is less about being a badass as it would appear and more to do with a certain way she wants to look. It's clear. She suffers from a form of narcissism, Yes, but studies have showed many people with narcissistic personalities tend to use vanity to hide low self-esteem, self-esteem, self-esteem issues can be brought on by expectation Put on a child at a very young age. Mariner has these issues with her mom. The emotional logic behind the why and how this character is written works. How do you do this with a cartoon, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, the thing. McMahon just killed it. McMahon, this episode was able to take my expectations of Lower Decks as a cartoon and basically. Put it in the echelon of say, now I know you don't like actually. Oh, here we go. You don't like me referencing the other side, but this puts it in the echelon of say, like how we look at uh, Star Wars Rebels, Star Wars Clone Wars. I don't Star look Wars. at those, David, because those are Star Wars. <laughs> those are Star Wars. Fuck Star Wars. But you look at it, but you look at like what those series they started off as cartoons, but they they're, they're taken very seriously by the entire fan base and by the creative creatives behind it. Yeah, that it's a substantial piece of the franchise. This is the episode that I point at where I say, Mike McMahon, if he were to do like five seasons, I could see it, and I could see that he could do something substantial with the series to make it worth. Yeah, being with. 
mythos of Star Trek. Yeah. So far, so good, Dave. But if he keeps knocking these types of episodes <laughs> out the box, I, I have to question why Kurtzman doesn't offer him a live action position as a writer. I'd I mean, be worried at that point because Dave, then if, you'd he, have to... if he has the core concepts like this, the, the, the very elements that make Star Trek Star Trek and he gets it and he makes it work in a comedy form. You think this guy's going to have a hard time? Putting that into a more serious tone and mind you, he can still have a comedic twist. Star Trek has always had humor to it. Obviously, it's not going to be the slapstick larger than life comedy that Lower Decks is. But if he keeps knocking these out the box, if he puts out another, you know, nine, ten episodes like this, why wouldn't you offer him a bigger gig? Well, you would be a fool. Alex Kurtzman is a fucking fool if he doesn't. If. Mike McMahon turns lower decks to being the great piece of Star Trek that we all want and need. And he doesn't offer him a bigger gig. There's something wrong with Kurtzman. There is, there is. I mean, I'm trying to think because I, as I was about to say and stuff, I'm kind of hesitant on that because like I am Mike, Mike, McMahon, Mike McMahon jumping from one from live action, from animation to live action it's 50 50 well it doesn't always work it doesn't always uh, work animation and live action is very different but it's, i thought to myself isn't he the one that actually wrote the short tricks episode with the tribbles that's right so that's right that when i think about that i'm like like well he was and able we, to pull that off. we laughed our ass off we laughed our asses off of that one yeah so i'm i'm gonna side with you i'm gonna side with you. i think that mike mcmahon should actually be given a shot at a live action. Yeah, and yes, we are jumping the gun. We're very excited. We're very giddy. We have no self-control over our feelings. <laughs> but but hey, let's realistically give him two or three seasons. Let's see what he does. Oh, yeah. But honestly, Dave, he's on the right track. He is. I mean, the, the, uh, the deciding factor for me in this episode was all of the Mariner aspects. When she... The, the fact that they drove home the point that she acts a certain way because people expect her to act that way. And then she tells herself to quit casting herself as the villain. I mean, she's victimizing herself. Yes, she is. That's growth. When she realizes that and comes to the conclusion at the end that this was great therapy and she realizes so many things at the end of the story, like, wow, I don't hate this ship. Oh, I don't hate my mother. Hey, I actually can accept that. I do like to watch the warp core like a loser. Like you, there's real growth there. There are steps being made by a character towards a goal, which every writer of a TV show, you got to give your characters a goal. You got to, you got to give them a direction to go. Otherwise you're not going to have that, that true character arc. Yeah. And then the rest of the show and what we're watching is, is kind of meaningless without true development. There was so much at work in the script. There was, I watched the episode three times because I was so impressed with how multi-layered it was. And Dave, this is why I pay a monthly fee. This right here is an episode that justifies my monthly fee. Like, thank you. I will gladly pay that $6 a month. Yeah, I would agree with you there that this, this episode, well, every single, for the past couple episodes, I've been saying, this is, this is the best episode. This is the best episode. This is the best episode. They're getting better and better. They're getting better and better. And, you have this you have this particular episode 
actually take what was what was set before it and then add to it and continue everything. Right. Like I like the fact that character continuity is a thing. Yeah. I like the fact that they they tied in Mariner's self-loathing of how everyone perceives her and expects her to be because that tied into the last episode where the one, the one uh, captain that came on board and basically saying, you know, I, ex- we expected you to be the top of the class and Mariner's like going, why does everyone expect me to be like this? Yeah. And then it ties in and it, cl- and it reaches, reaches its crescendo in this episode. And I'm like going, that's really good writing. That's how writing should be. And my, I'm with you. My favorite moment is the very end. Well, not the very end because the very end has Michelangelo shooting <laughs> Vindicta and like, but the end with Mariner facing herself and then coming to the realization that just like what you said, she's just self hating herself. She's self hating herself. She's, she's self or, or she's self hating. That's like self loathing. How's yeah. that? Self loathing. And at the very end, it, it, she comes to this realization, goes up to her mom and says, hey, everything's cool, gives her a fist bump, and then walks off. And just to add the comedic cherry on top, I love the fact that suddenly we cut to her mom in the therapy session now. Mm-hmm. And she's going crazy because she thinks that something's up. <laughs> because Mariner may have had a breakthrough, but now it's her mom's turn to have a breakthrough. Yeah. yeah. I definitely gained a whole new level of respect for Tawny Newsom as well. The actress that, that voices Mariner. I mean, her portrayal of Vindic, Vindicata. What's her name? Vindicata? Vindicta. Vindicta. There we go. Vindicta was so good. She had, she had to have gone back and rewatched the greatest Trek villain monologues because she was channeling so many different villains it was chaotic brilliance i mean even having freeman captain freeman call it out and say when freeman says this vindicta is all over the place you know she was quoting the tempest but the cadence the tempo the speech patterns the way she enunciated she was throwing in everything there was a bit of nero there where there was khan there was chang there were so many villains that it was thrown. And that's why I thought it was hilarious when Freeman said this Vindicta is all over the place because I was thinking just that I'm like, I'm like, she is all over the map right now. She is pulling from every villain I can think of the greatest villain monologues of Trek. And that's, that's what it's, it's a parody of Star Trek because that's what make the villains of Star Trek fantastic. Right. And that's why this was so good because Mike McMahon knows that what makes a great emotional intimate episode is the villain, the villain. Yeah. Whenever you have a strong villain, your protagonist will shine. And when you have an episode that's devised around the idea of a character fighting herself, that she is essentially her own worst enemy and that she must fight herself to win Fuck, dude. <laughs> dude, like in those 15 seconds, I think there's seven villains. Oh, yeah. That she's using. Dude, when she went into that, I just had General Chang just just pop in my head. Tickle us. Do we not laugh? Prick us. Do we not bleed? <laughs> and like just randomly, I'm like going, oh, my God, she's actually turning into Chang. She's doing it all, man. 
It's so good. And uh, Tani Newsom, I, I'm sorry for talking shit about your character during that first episode, but uh, talk about redeeming your show. <laughs> we did not like the first episode. No. And now by episode nine, we're saying this is some of the best track. This is some of the best track. And I really appreciate Lower Decks actually more than discovery because I need to see this. I needed this Dave. Yeah, I think we needed this. We we saw this redemption. At least the show showed redemption this quickly. I just want someone to care about star Trek. Like I do Dave. That's all I want. Yeah. And the fact that Mike McMahon shows that he cares, I don't need to agree with all the story decisions, but you get the idea and the feeling that this guy cares. Oh Yeah. I mean, especially with, you know, like a lot of like the references that they made in, in throughout the episode and everything. And me and you have always discussed about like throughout the this entire season, you know, the whole quote unquote Easter eggs. But when it comes to the references of Star Trek, it really shows Mike McMahon knows the mythos. He knows and understands Trek lore. Right. He he can do a Trek joke which is incredibly difficult <laughs> it's incredibly difficult to actually do trek trek humor but he's able to do it why because he cares it, it, you get the sense of lower dicks that he truly cares about this franchise yeah or at least the show at least yeah oh, stupid yeah no you're right he does he does care about star trek and and that's going to come through when you not just care about something but you also are willing to do your homework and the references they use, they're very seldom. I don't mind references being thrown at us. I don't mind us having a good time. I know what this show is. It's a comedy. But then you have episodes like this where they use those references. They use those moments of parody to just drive the narrative further. And that's definitely what you should be doing. It makes you stand up and applaud. Yeah. Honestly. Because it's very rare for it's very rare to see that nowadays with a lot of television writing because people think they can just ride on the member berries that right. a fan base might have when you're dealing with like reboots and yeah. And yeah. And yeah. they're, they're thinking, Spin-offs. Oh, we could just basically throw this out there and they'll eat it up. Right. Nowadays, we're not seeing that you have to put some care oh. and you have to show. We do see it, but they usually suck. Yeah. <laughs> the ones that do it right are the ones that typically, for the most part, will succeed, right? Will succeed. All right. So no one knew, Dave, and this is a question, that Mariner was Captain Freeman's daughter? I don't know if I missed that in the first part. Maybe because I just didn't like the first two episodes. Maybe I just wasn't paying attention. But did we? Did we not know this? Were you aware of this or and that and did that surprise you at the end of the episode when it was a secret? Oh, the the fact that, that it was Mariner, a secret that, yeah, or the that secret Mariner itself. and Captain Freeman are related. Did was this something that was that we weren't aware of? Like we knew Captain Freeman and Mariner were related. We knew yeah. Mariner was Oh yeah, because Freeman's as daughter, audience, but did we know that it was a secret though? As an audience, I felt yeah, it was a secret because like okay. they they never really came out and said Oh, no one ever talked to Mariner about, hey, it's Captain Freeman. It's what's your last name? I just assumed assumed that 
that, hey, mother was a captain. That's it. I wasn't aware that it was a secret. It was a secret. Uh, and it. And I'm fine with that. It kind of makes sense. It I makes mean, sense. Especially when you take into account the the last names being different. You and I actually questioned that. I want to say during our episode two or episode three discussion. Yes. So And it, like a lot of people are saying, why is it being kept a secret? And I'm like, going, well, you guys do remember that. Yes. Wesley Crusher was allowed on the bridge oh. by Captain Picard because of his relationship with Beverly Crusher. Uh, but come here, Beverly stuff like that was actually frowned upon with the Federation because you're not supposed to do stuff like that. That's the what Federation made, isn't real, Dave. Yeah. That's what made <laughs> Captain Picard special because right. he was willing to do stuff like that. Most people were smart like Captain Kirk and just nailed, you know, Carol Marcus, <laughs> Carol Marcus. and then had a son and then left They're like later, <laughs> later, see you in 30 years during the Genesis project. Peace. And then I'll just watch my son get stabbed. It's okay. And then I'll pretend I wanted him the whole time. I wanted him after the he whole dies. Time. <laughs> oh, what did you do to my kid? Oh no, you took away my responsibility. Thank you. I mean, oh, how oh, dare you? you. That's awful. It is, but it's kind of true. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's take a really quick break, and then when we get back, we're going to jump into some more of the parody aspects. You and I will talk about our favorite moments of the episode. We'll be right back. Energize. All right, everyone, make sure you pledge to our Patreon page. You can get more Star Trek from the holodeck discussions every single month by subscribing. Head over to patreon.com slash Rainman Digital and pledge $5 or more a month and gain access to a plethora of Star Trek discussions, including our Star Trek pre-shows that we do. Pretty much before every single show, we do a secret discussion about various topics pertaining to Star Trek. So head over to patreon.com slash Rainman Digital and pledge Free stuff is awesome, but free stuff that will spice up your bedroom is even better. Just go to adamandeve.com and select almost any one item for 50% off, and then we'll load on the free stuff. Just enter this very exclusive code, RAINMAN, at checkout, and you'll get 10 tantalizing free gifts, including a sexy item for him, a special toy for her, and a third item you'll both enjoy. And six extra special bonus items that are sure to rev your engine, pique your curiosity, Mm. and even blow you away. Plus, free shipping. Always sent in discreet packaging. Go to adamandeve.com now. Get 50% off plus the 10 free gifts when you enter the exclusive offer code RAINMAN. Again, that's RAINMAN. Because without it, no free stuff. That's RAINMAN at adamandeve.com. Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transporter beam. Now. Transporter, stand by. All right, welcome back everyone to Star Trek from the Holodeck. I am Michael Flores, your host. And uh please, I come to you in peace and love. 
head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Digital, and pledge anywhere between $1 to $10 a month will help us stay on the air, get all of our free shows we offer every week along with our regular broadcast. We do, what, uh, now on average, what, a 10 to 20-minute additional discussion? Dave, where yeah, we kind of... Ten to uh, almost ten to thirty, I, I always felt. Yeah, where we just talk about random Star Trek news, share some thoughts, get yep. into some nitty gritty. I mean, we got into some really controversial territory the other week. Uh, we started talking about Janeway versus Hard yep. TNG versus Voyager, and I, I we fired some shots. Fired some shots. Shots were fired, definitely. So head over to Patreon. If you pledge three dollars, you can gain access to all of our pre shows. We also offer an annual membership as well. So if you take three dollars times uh, ten, could you get two years free or two months? Not two years free, Dave. <laughs> I but think it, you wouldn't want that. No, I don't even think I'll be here in two years. <laughs> but if you subscribe to our behind-the-scenes tier for three dollars for a full year, you receive two months free. So you're looking at thirty bucks. For an entire year of additional discussions. And of course, we offer more. At the $5 tier, we offer full discussions throughout the month. So, yeah, patreon.com slash Rayman Digital. Thank you. All right, Dave. So, let's talk about some of our favorite parody moments because there was a lot. Oh, there was from plenty. The classic starship glamour shots that go on forever and ever <laughs> and ever. But, dude, it. That whole segment was arguably my favorite point. Man, I was laughing. I was giggling, Dave. I was giggling. I was giggling. Because I'm like, yeah, this happens in every single episode. You got to do it. Every single movie. Every single movie. You have to have the glamour shot. And nothing outdoes the motion picture. I mean, that was like a seven-minute glamour shot of (laughs) Kirk almost crying and Scotty looking at Kirk saying, are you okay? We're going to get through this. We're going to get through this. Yeah. And like, you look like Kirk is about to have like an orgasm looking at the ship. And I love it. I know there are Star Trek fans that make fun of it, but listen, you're dealing with what? The return of Trek after years of being off the air. Yeah. And you have modern technology now. Guess what you're going to do? You're going to fucking show Show off off. the USS Enterprise. Dude, when they got to the TNG movies, they, they were just blatant with that stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, the first, the very first TNG movie, probably a five to eight minute scene of just the Enterprise D and just the logo (laughs) on the saucer. They all do it. Kelvin Timeline 2009 film did it. They all do it. Yeah. The the, the Kelvin Timeline one is the one that also sticks out with me with like Kirk and Bones flying up on the ship and they get that, that wide shot of the Enterprise at the docking bay. Like, like. Yeah, every single cinematic movie has to have a fucking ship scene. Yep. <laughs> yeah. All right. So give me a, a favorite part. A okay. favorite parody moment. Besides besides the ship one, I have to say, oh man, there's so many. There there's really some really good ones. Okay. Um I have to like the 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 ending one. The one where <laughs> Vindicta rises from the pod like <laughs> like it's 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 done genesis. like yeah it's done yeah. like genesis yeah but da vinci comes out of nowhere and shoots her and basically just tells her not on da vinci's watch <laughs> that was also hilarious to me that was a really great capping of the episode yeah there was a lot dave i do like that one that was really good 
Uh, I like the theme song a lot. The yeah. revamped Lower Decks theme song was re orchestrated, I guess you can say, to sound more like the Wrath of Khan theme, that classic that classic theme that we're all used to hearing. In fact, there's an interview that was done with the composer. Let me first play the Wrath of Khan moment. Now, I don't have the theme. I looked everywhere for the Lower Decks movie theme. It's not on the internet yet, but this is basically what we heard. Not this part. This is the intro. You'll get there in a second. Just right here. Yeah. <laughs> it's so like, good. It was so good when I was going, they're doing Wrath of God? Yeah. And this is from, I believe, composer, I want to say James Horner. Yeah, James Horner was the composer for this. And... The composer for the Lower Decks movie theme was Chris Westlake. He's also the composer for Lower Decks as a whole. But there was an interview that he did with sci-fi.com, and he talked about the entire process of this decision to go with these epic tunes. And at first, they were like, no, we can't do this. It's just, it's too bombastic. We can't do it for a comedy show. And they realized that the more epic they went, the more they laughed. The more they laughed. And they said, we got to go big. So they went bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And they said, at one point, I think we surpassed the the movie thing. <laughs> the movie. We added a choir, he said, at the end. And it just, we were laughing so hard and we just went with it. Because the bigger we went for a comedy piece, the funnier it was. The funnier it is. And ultimately, yeah. I, I agree at the end of the day. Absolutely. Yeah, because like that... The thing about that I've always loved about Star Trek themes, especially with the cinematic movies and stuff, all the scores are this epic, grandiose, mm -hmm. adventure, high adventure type of themes, right? They make you want to start running and start flying everywhere. Really? Yeah. Flying and running. Flying and running. Just a la... Okay, I'll go say, with that. Flying say. and running. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But... But, like, especially, like, with the credits, dude, the credits were done perfectly for, like, the the style of, like, the cinematic universe where they fly in. That was more, like, motion picture star uh, Superman. Yes. But the they flying did it, credits, yeah. They did the, the, the fonts were from Star Trek. It was TNG, yeah. It was TNG. And I'm, like, going, that was brilliant because it had that grandiose epic element and it went great with the music. I wish... They actually, we could find actually the the theme of Crisis Point, Lower Decks Crisis Point, because I honestly think it might be one of the best theme songs I've ever heard. Yeah, it's interesting because in this interview, Westlake talks about some of his inspirations for the show, and he says that he came from more of the John Williams side of things. That that's more his thing, and when he sat down to work on Lower Decks, he had to kind of re think things and how. He makes things different and he really didn't see the difference between Star Wars and Star Trek. Mike McMahon then talked to him and explained a few things. And he said that basically Star Wars. The music for Star Wars is designed for fast flying ships and dog fights and ducking and weaving and fast movements. But Star Trek music is slow moving ships. That nautical thing. And he says, I even think that James Horner is doing a riff on Jerry Goldsmith as well. So 
I just love the amount of thought that goes into the music itself and how the showrunner sitting right there with the composer saying, dude, listen, this is what we need to do. This is how <laughs> Star Trek is. Compared to Star Wars and then to sell the composer on it and he now sees what he's totally talking about. I mean, that's that's the definition of a collaborative art form right there. The two of them meeting together and coming up with a solution and an idea that works for the show. Yeah, I like it quite a bit. All right. So do you have that list there, Dave, of references? Yes, I do. I believe it's from trekmovie.com. Yeah, I have it right in front of me right now. Go through some of the top references. We don't have time to get through all of them. We have another four minutes that we can use here. Okay. Uh, well, I'm uh, going through the article from trekmovie.com. As you said, it's titled from con to Zon star Trek, Lord decks, Easter eggs in crisis point. Let's just not say Easter eggs. <laughs> yes. They're so, not. They're not Easter. Jumping to the very first one, it's all the villains. Okay. Crisis Point was an homage to Star Trek movies done through Mariner reprogramming the holodeck into the interactive movie Crisis Point, The Rise of Vindicta. She cast herself as the villain Vindicta, who was described as a vengeance personified. This describes a number of Star Trek villains, especially Khan, Noon, and Sung. Right. Of Star Trek Two, Mariner gave homage to the film when she yelled out therapy, like Kirk's iconic con, uh, con scream. Right. Uh, USS Vengeance was the name Admiral Marcus uh, had in Star Trek Into Darkness, which is eventually commandeered by Khan in that universe. Yep. Vindicta's ship evoked various Klingon ships, including D7 and the Birds of Prey, uh, introduced in Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Including the raised throne chair, like the one used by Commander Krug. Uh, Vindicta also quoted Shakespeare, which was a favorite pastime of General Chang mm-hmm. from Star Trek The Undiscovered Country. Mariner even wrote herself a vinyl, final villain confrontation on a rickety catwalk, which has been seen in a number of films, but most notably with Kirk and Soren in Star Trek Generation. It was Kirk's death scene. Kirk's death scene, yeah. Um. Then the next one. Or, yeah, go to the the bigger ones. Is there any bigger ones? I Let's mean, the, the the one that everyone was 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 crowing on on about was the uh, the, the lens flares. Oh yeah, that but was I, that was uh uh they brought that up after they talked about like the uh, refit scene with the ship scene with uh, lower decks, and then they brought up the whole thing about Trek's movie homage. Uh, and the visual references of Star Trek movies didn't end there. Mariner's whole film was replete with lens flares like those of J.J. Abrams, Star Trek, and subsequent Kelvin films. See, what I liked about that is it wasn't just a riff on J.J. Abrams. Yes, he uses lots of lens flare, which I I personally like the style for for certain films. And, certain I think, films. and I think it worked for the 2009 for the bridge sequence, but... It wasn't just the lens flare, but even the the shift, the immediate shift, the moment the holodeck movie starts, there's a shift to, there's a shift in color grade. There is. There's a shift in exposure and there's a slight flicker and film scratch that goes throughout the entire movie sequence when they're on the holodeck. And it makes sense too, because Kurtzman is tied to the Kelvin universe. I like it. It works. It worked. And for for the scenes that they used it in, I thought it was it was actually ingenious because they didn't just like do like a, a parody, like say like what Robot Chicken would do and throw lens flares every single moment. 
they actually tried to use the lens flares like how J.J. Abrams would. Yeah. All right, Dave. So we don't have time to go through all of them, but there is one worthy of mentioning. You mentioned worthy of going into, I should say, briefly here. You had mentioned Zahn. Yes. Now, dude, this is a deep cut. Okay. (laughs) I'm talking. I appreciate it. This is a deep, deep cut. According to various articles, Star Trek may have just made its own abandoned replacement Spock now canon. Uh, in the latest episode of Star Trek, The Lower Decks, Mariner jokingly tells Boimler that she doesn't think he'll make the final cut of her film. To illustrate the point, she compares Boimler to Zahn. When Boimler says he doesn't know who Zahn is, Mariner tells him that's the point. Now, for people not in the know, in between the movie, motion picture, and the original series, uh, Gene Roddenberry was trying to get various Star Trek ideas off the ground. Uh, One such project was Star Trek Phase 2, which would basically, in a nutshell, reunite the Star Trek crew. Yes. In a new series. Leonard Nimoy did not want to be involved. This was during the time where he was not wanting to be a part of Star Trek anymore. He felt like he was going to be typecast as Spock, and he wanted to move on to greener pastures eventually of course he returns obviously but during that point as they were planning star trek phase two gene roddenberry's sequel to star trek uh star trek phase two was to be the flagship series of the paramount's planned tv network which failed to materialize and you and i had actually talked about this in a show about uh, what two years ago we actually got into this oh yeah because it's a really interesting it's a really interesting what if question well phase two eventually turned into the motion picture phase two was scrapped the tv show never happened because of the paramount's uh paramount's tv network that fell apart and then there were various elements that were simply just reworked into a film so the zahn character lieutenant zahn was created to take spock's place as science officer aboard the star trek phase two new uss enterprise then he was reworked to be put into the movie at some point. Then the movie version was cut and that's history. I'm, yep. I'm simplifying it because there's a long story behind it, but essentially Zahn never seen the light of day. So that's a deep cut. It is a really deep cut, but it, it's cool that basically, but they, they made him canon though. Yeah, they did. I mean, lower decks is canon. So when you're, br- if you're bringing up a character like Zahn, guess what? He's now canon. Yep. And dude, the the amazing thing too is if you look at the actual Star Trek wiki and you bring up Zahn, there is actually pictures and mentions of him throughout Star Trek, which is such a deep, deep reference because they they brought up that character from the comics, which got retconned. <laughs> and like also there's been uh some uh pictures floating around of the actor who was thought to play Zahn. And it was actually really interesting. If you actually are a Star Trek historian, look it up. Look up Star Trek Phase 2. It, the, the stories that Gene Roddenberry were thinking about that ended up getting used in the comics. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, if you could have seen that in live action, there's a reason why that in the beginning of the motion picture, the crew of the Enterprise isn't Kirk. It isn't McCoy. And it isn't like, 
uh, uh, Spock. It's a totally different crew. It's a totally different captain. <laughs> yeah. So Zahn was originally originally going to be the victim of that lethal transporter malfunction. Yes. But that also was cut. And then as like a consolation to the actor, they had him appear just at the start of Star Trek, the motion picture as a human Starfleet commander named Branch. So we all know who that is. I thought it was what a sad story. This guy was like, yeah, I'm casting Star Trek. Oh, shit. My TV series is going to be turned into a movie instead. Shit. I'm going to be in a movie. Wait a second. I'm cut from the movie. <laughs> from the movie. Oh, you guys are going to bring me back. Okay, great. Oh, wait, you just cut my death scene. Okay. All right. Thank you. Now I'm in an opening sequence for a few seconds. Thank you. <laughs> and his career is history. Is history. <laughs> All right. This does bring us to the end of our discussion, but we do need to rate the episode, don't we, Dave? Yes, we do. All right. Let's get through this RMD score really fast. Okay. I'll be really quick. I'm giving this a 92. It's okay. it's one of the highest rated episodes of Lord Dex that I've seen so far. I love all the references. There's the references that we didn't even touch on that I thought were gold. Um, there was too much. There was too we, much. We need another hour to get through all oh, of Oh, absolutely. And I like where the one thing that I've been saying since day one is give me a good story arc to follow and not just laugh at it because you're just making parodies of Star Trek. This is the episode that culminated in the fact that, yes, there is an actual true, oh, my God, story arc going on. What's that mean? And so overall, I know throughout the season I've been really hesitant with Mike McMahon's series. But at this point, I'm all on board Lordex. I'm I'm really behind this crew. I like this series. I think people should have given it more of a shot after the fourth episode and just watch the show progress because you will get a really great feeling of, I don't know, accomplishment seeing this series coming out more so than any other piece of Star Trek that we've gotten in the last five years. Yeah. So I agree. 92. All right, Dave, I'm going to give this episode a 96%. This is what Star Trek is all about for me. And the show is becoming exactly what I wanted it to be. Have fun. Let's kick our shoes off, put our feet up, enjoy ourselves for 20, 25 minutes. Give us some sheer escapism. Fine. But also this is Trek and justify why you have Trek in your title. Right? Yeah. You're not going to make a Star Trek wrestling show. No. How, how's that going to work? <laughs> how's that going to work? So if you're going to make a comedy cartoon, justify why you're putting Trek on it other than simply trying to sell it. To Star Trek fans. And I feel like this episode is the accumulation of working towards an end goal. And this episode is a shining example of what Star Trek should be. And that's sad that I'm saying that. I mean, I'm, I'm happy, but at the same time, I'm like, listen, th- th- Mike McMahon is showing all of you right now, all of the showrunners and people writing currently for Star Trek, a guy writing a cartoon a show that that probably didn't have a lot of expectations from fans. And yet he's churning out some true track. Yes, he is. So 96%. That does bring us to the end. I want to thank everyone for listening. Thank you, David. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain. It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.